Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast. You are joining us for episode 237, Mediterranean Keto. In today's episode, we are going to be discussing how the ketogenic diet, when done with our food as medicine approach, can be heart healthy, supportive of detoxification, autoimmune conditions, and so much more, as well as health supporting properties of some key Mediterranean keto foods. Yes, I think that often when people hear the word Mediterranean diet, they can't imagine how keto can fit within that concept. But Becky and I have always taken a pretty phytocompound rich approach to keto. We're always about getting all of the variety of antioxidants in the color spectrum, getting supportive uh, bioflavonoids and health supporting compounds in whole real foods. And today we're just going to kind of question, do you want to keep driving with saturated fats or do you want to maybe mix things up and brighten things up? I think as we transition into spring, summer, this is a great time to be eating lighter and brighter and we'll really emphasize for heart health, those of you that this might be an awesome focus. Totally. And especially with a lot of more, um, you know, green vegetables in season and, and what's coming into season, especially in summertime, I think of that more in the like Mediterranean realm with the eggplant and zucchini and tomatoes and things of that nature. Right. Like if I have to look at one more ribeye on a hundred degree day, (laughs) don't get me started. (laughs) All right. Before we dive in, let's just give listeners some updates. Where are we at? Sure. So we have our 12-week food as medicine ketosis program starting May 5th. So in that program, that is really our deep dive, six courses or six classes every other week that are presented in an hour and a half. They are really deep functional medicine based. So we cover things from adrenals to gut health to leaky gut and dysbiosis, as well as topics on cardiovascular health, diabetes, women's and men's hormones, thyroid, and so much more. Each class continues to layer on food as medicine principles and goals. So by the end of class six, you're going to have over 18 different food as medicine strategies to apply daily. Also, each class has interactive handouts like quizzes and worksheets, and we have a private Slack communication channel where Becky and I directly engage with participants throughout the three-month program. What are other big highlights, Becky? Did you mention the lab pricing? No, um, we and supplement sales. Um, give exclusive discounts, so um, much closer to, if not right at, the in-clinic pricing that we're able to offer 
on labs just to participants of this program. So anywhere from a $25 discount all the way up to a $250 discount on the MRT, which is kind of our most expensive Cadillac of the lab world, if you will. Yes. Um, And then we offer a ongoing discount throughout the 12 weeks of the program as well on all individual supplements. So you're getting savings on your supplements, you're getting savings on your labs. And it's a really great way if you've been thinking about doing a lab, honestly, just that $250 discount alone would, um, you know, kind of pay for the program or most the of majority it. of it. Yep. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. I mean, the big picture is if you are a podcast listener and you appreciate our novel approach to keto, the 12 week food as medicine ketosis class is beyond worth the value of $299 for this three month program. And again, you will absolutely learn ways to take your health to the next level. You will understand metabolic flexibility, what macros work best for your body. We have various protocols, tiers, phases, calculators, all of the nerdy, nitty gritty stuff. And then also some really good overarching topics and conversations that will help you to make this a sustainable long-term change to really feel empowered and well within your body. So going over to AllieMillerRD.com slash ketosis hyphen class, grab a spot. They're already filling. And I think this is the week that we start our 10 day countdown. So we will be hitting it heavy on all the social platforms and our email blast. And we only accept 150 members per round. We always sell out. So Take a pause, go grab your spot, and uh, we'll see you then in the program. All right. And then other big news. We've got a couple of new protocols up on the website over at AllieMillerRD.com. There's actually a tab that says learn, and you can hit on the drop-down menu protocols. Um, So we now, I think, have six protocols on there, Um, but the new ones up have been recent podcast episode topics. So we have one on estrogen dominance. And then the episode that we did the pre and post surgery, um, we actually made that into a protocol. And that's a really good one that you could literally like print out, give to a family member. Um, We also have one upcoming on thyroid. Thank you. (laughs) It's like, I just read it and then I forgot. Um, But a, a thyroid protocol speaking to hypothyroid in particular, um, and then kind of an addendum of, um, things that you can do if Hashimoto's, um, is part of your diagnosis. So thyroid protocol and a really good place to, um, just deeper dive if you prefer written content versus spoken on the podcast, or just to like follow along as you're listening to some of our past episodes, I think can be really helpful. Yeah. And the idea of the protocol is to really just give you a kind of baseline information on the area of concern and then break down what supplements are appropriate, how to take them and some food as medicine strategy. So it's to be really a tight kind of one-stop shop and um, the immune one that we put out is our most popular protocol, of course. Uh, so a great way for you to share with family and friends uh, areas of need. There, there is in the surgery area, I don't know if you mentioned, even for pre and post colonoscopy, yep. uh, which is very common. You know, So anyone over 50 who's having their first one and so forth, if you're doing every five years or whatnot, great place to check. All right. Um, I want to share an ad from our opener sponsor, Wild Foods, and then we'll get into our topic of Mediterranean keto. So Wild Foods believes, like us, 
that real food is medicine and they painstakingly source quality products that are pantry staples for our households that really support whole body health. They both also believe that the food system is quite broken and they know that by supporting small scale organic farms, this is one of the ways to really distribute income and maintain and vote with our dollar for real quality products so that they're available for everyone's quote unquote pharmacy with an F. Um, and so they've partnered with us to give you guys an exclusive discount. When you use Allie Miller RD, you get 12% off your order. Again, that's Allie Miller RD at wildfoods.co. And I'm sharing with you guys on the tail of my most recent 10 day detox. So I have been 10 days tight of dairy-free and coffee-free, and I have to say that I have been just so enjoying exploring all of their tea blends, as well as playing with the wild matcha. So their matcha is my favorite that I've found on the market. Um, I store it in the refrigerator, and the stone ground uh, green tea leaves are so vibrant and bright and I find them to be less bitter than most on the market and uh, provide a really rich robust grassiness um, but also a nice kind of light acidity. I have been whisking that with warm water and then adding in uh, full fat coconut milk to make a matcha latte um, and then I may add if I want to kind of add a little bit of protein maybe some collagen or grass-fed whey um, but that's been a fantastic add-in and then their tea blends I've been loving um, they have one through 10 numerical tea blends. The coconut chai has been one I've been doing in the evening. It's ginger, coconut flakes, um, saffron, a dash of chili, and um, is really nice both hot or cold, and it has a red rooibos base. So it's very warming, but also delightfully refreshing, and a little bit of that kick is fun. Um, I even tried cooking with it and adding a little bit of that with a bone broth with a fish dish, and it turned out beautifully with a white fish. Um, and then I've shared with you guys my obsession with their Taiji, which is a green rooibos tea with ginger, lemongrass, and lime. Um, that's awesome as an iced tea that I try to keep in my fridge in the summer. Uh, rooibos is so antioxidant rich, a really powerful way to increase antioxidant capacity. And if we're talking antioxidants, I can't get through the conversation without talking chocolate. Uh, their Cocotropic Wild Superfood Elixir is a delicious blend of their wild cacao or chocolate mixed with medicinal mushrooms, reishi and chaga, as well as raw maca and wild turmeric. So this is a nootropic that basically aids in mental performance and aids in adaptogenic support, as well as mood stability. And um, this blended with just warm water is delightful. Also full fat coconut milk works really well. I've even used it, we've talked about in past episodes, um, like in the avocado cacao brownies to do um, just equal amounts of a swap out for the cacao powder. So like four tablespoons of the um, cocotropic for four tablespoons of cacao. And it is just beautiful, a really good noticeable improvement in an energy boost, um, awesome way to get the day started and um, not as much of an epinephrine draw as the coffee gives you. So um, you can get anything from just straight up raw wild turmeric to medicinal mushroom blends, to teas, to cacao, to cocoa butter wafers, and so much more at wildfoods.co, that's .co, not 
com, wildfoods.co. Use Allie Miller RD at checkout and you will get 12% off of your order. All right. And I feel like as we're talking about high polyphenol foods today, that's such a good fit for today's podcast. Yeah. That immune tea is so good too. It used to be called Kerberry and has like the currants and all this high anthocyanins, uh, elderberry in there as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm going to make that iced this week, actually. That'd be fab with maybe a lime slay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. All right. So let's kick off, Ali, just talking about what do we mean by Mediterranean style keto and why would we consider it? Okay, so Mediterranean style keto is generally going to be higher vegetable intake. I think of more of that polyphenol antioxidant blend of color, as I was saying in the opening of today's episode. And yet when you use the word keto there, it's not going to be fat phobic. You know, when the Mediterranean diet first came out, that was like a higher fat-ish diet (laughs) from the standard American diet, because that's what put like avocados, nuts and seeds, and olive oil on the table. Um, After for so long, we were fat phobic and told to eat low fat products. Now, keto, generally speaking, is going to be even more centric in the fat world. Um, But a Mediterranean keto is going to be lower in saturated fat and um, provide, generally speaking, more phyto compounds than a standard keto approach. So that also means in a Mediterranean style keto, you're probably going to have higher amount of total carbohydrates. Um, As you all know, we don't like to do the net carb game where we deduct fiber. But with that being said, most of your carbohydrate choices will have high amounts of fiber. So you probably, if you're not able to get into the ketogenic state by starting Mediterranean keto, this could be more of a sustainable ending point, or I don't want to say ending point, but a sustainable landing pad or place to maintain or a goal to strive to following, like maybe you started paleo, then you went keto. This is a good happy medium, I think, of finding a little bit more vegetable flexibility. Um, And I like that you know, we're not saturated fat phobic either, Becky and I. We talk all about the health supporting benefits of saturated fats and cholesterol as medicine. But I notice myself that often I overlook oleic acid and um, I may not be getting as much monounsaturated fat as I would like to. So by kind of reharnessing a Mediterranean style keto, um, and that's basically what our 10 day detox is, wouldn't you kind of agree? Oh, like, yeah. The 10-day detox really emphasizes a lot more of the Mediterranean approach and even opens up the legumes like the chickpeas and the lentils and such. Um, So I find that that's a way for me to kind of get back into that style of eating it every quarter when I do my 10-day detox falling in love with herbs again and seasonings and spices um, when I find myself in a keto food rut and um, getting variety of seasonal produce and um, really emphasizing the intake of fish. That would be a big component of Mediterranean style keto that a standard keto doesn't really emphasize. Yes, you can have salmon and tuna and scallops and shrimp on a ketogenic diet, of course, but I don't think they're as big of staples as pork and beef. Totally. And I think sometimes we forget about those foods. Like we got a um, quarter of a cow and, you know, split a half with, with you guys. And we've been eating so much beef. And last night I was like, I just need fish with like fresh herbs. So it can be a really good way, I think, to break it up if you're starting to kind of burn out on keto or just looking to expand the recipe repertoire or bring something new in. Absolutely. And it's all about that fine line of 
the continuum of growth, right, of input-output. And I think that sometimes to get fat adapted and to become keto, we have to just focus on what we're not eating. And then, yes, we get to a point of that burnout mode where it's like, okay, now what can I eat to get more variety? Sure. I want more acid in my flavor profile or I want more brightness of flavor or a different texture. And this is a really great place to find that. Yeah. Um, and then to clarify, although higher in plants, we still definitely do not want to incorporate the polyunsaturated fats in terms of industrialized seed oils, which we've talked about a lot on here. Um, and especially in that YouTube episode where we, um, debunked Jillian Michaels, most recent, um, video, I'll link that. Um, but let's talk about what is okay and what would not be okay in the world of plant fats. Yeah, so I still follow the closest to a whole food is best. And so we're always thinking of, as we've talked about, you know, like canola oil is such a tiny seed. It's called rapeseed. And the extraction process is highly, um, it's a, a high mechanical heat extraction. There's bleach involved to make it colorless, a lot of filtration, a lot of oxidation that occurs. So that oxidative stress creates free radical compounds. So that's why we like something like, for instance, an extra virgin olive oil, which which is cold pressed. Like they're literally just taking those olives and pressing out from the fruit that pure fat. And that's the variance of a cold press versus a highly heat extracted. Um, and so less oxidative damage when we're getting things closer to a whole food. And um, we can eat any of the plants in their whole food form, meaning like actual avocados, actual olives, nuts and seeds in various forms. Um, and then, you know, even if we're talking about polyunsaturated fats, we have to acknowledge that, you know, all of our proteins are going to have some form of polyunsaturated fats. So like in our... Um, even grass-fed beef, we're going to get conjugated linoleic acids, right? So that's a polyunsaturated fat. Um, but when the ruminant eats the ALA from the leafy greens, they convert that CLA, which has more health-supporting properties. And um, we know in the fish world that fish take that ALA in the algae, and then they convert in their kidneys and liver that desaturase enzyme pathway, right? And elongates back and forth. And um, they produce the EPA and the DHA, those known health supporting polyunsaturated fats. So we can get polyunsaturated fats in a healthy whole food, like from eating the fish or eating the grass-fed meat, or in the case of our EPA DHA extra, in the way of a molecularly distilled quality fish oil, that's where an extraction of a polyunsaturated fat would make sense. But we don't want any of these in oils to use in cooking in the sense of like, of course, especially looking at the higher industrialized crops and higher omega-6 crops. So we would not want the canola oil, soybean oil, corn oil, sunflower, safflower, any of those processed oils. Best oils would be our olive oil, especially first cold press, monounsaturated to get that oleic acid. Avocado oil would be a happy medium that is definitely going to be more processed, but similar, more similar to an olive extraction than again, the rapeseed of canola because the flesh of an avocado and pit have much more fat concentrated, um, doesn't require as much processing as those industrialized seeds to start. So avocado oil would be a reasonable one to use for high heat application. 
And then um, most nuts and seeds you'd want to eat in their whole food form or in like a nut butter would be superior over necessarily doing their oils and counterparts. Yep. Um, And yeah, the sunflower you mentioned, that's one to really watch because it's sneaking in more and more and more as an additive and like um, something that I think that's recognized as a safer bet than like the soy and the canola, but really still has the same properties as as the PUFAs that we don't want to yeah, we don't want to mess with. The only thing I would say is that again, it's easier to extract sunflower. Mm-hmm. I, I would say probably if there was a report on sure. oxidative yep. stress. I know the omega six is still higher, but like I think of like Simple Mills crackers, and I think they're they're good, better, best. It's one to be aware of for yep. sure. It does sneak in, but still, when I think of that sunflower seed versus tiny, tiny seeds, there's known lipids and fats, and that it right, has like to be more oily, a yep. looser extraction process. And I was gonna just note, I find myself like you know two years into keto and now I don't even know where I am with my longevity of keto Um, but where we're relying a lot on like coconut oil which is still plant-based saturated fat plant-based but then we're using like these big Costco plastic tubs and really what is the quality of the extraction there so you start to kind of lose the 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 Richter scale I guess and I think that that's where bringing olive oil back in in abundance in the diet is a good choice and I feel really strong about that we used to use those um, olive oil shooters, like back in the day when I would do the F-bomb packs and then I would do like the olive oil shooters. Um, and I still feel like that's one that I revisit. I often will eat olive oil just straight up on a plate. Like that's one of my, I'm probably going to do it actually right after we finish recording because we haven't had enough food and I'm going to go right into cooking dinner and it's just a really pure fat bomb. I like it better than nut butters. I noticed that the high arginine for me doesn't do well with my skin health. Um, and so I'm not as prone to go for tablespoons of almond butter, but olive oil tends to be a really nourishing hormone supporting. And what I'll do is just like a good tablespoon or two and maldon coarse salt. And I just lick my finger and eat it direct on like a little sweet appetizer plate. And it's very satiating. I've been known to do that at restaurants for sure. <laughs> right? Like, especially <laughs> if it's like infused yep. with garlic yep. or has something going on. Oh yeah, totally. Yes. Um, so now our food as medicine approach to keto really is still typically going to follow these guidelines in terms of only whole foods. Um, but it's more of a hybrid of, of plant and animal products in terms of the fats that we're using. But for some people out there, they do need to watch their saturated fat levels. And this will really come down to genetics, not just the cardiovascular health risk uh, world of things. So who needs to reduce or be mindful of saturated fat and who would be a good candidate for a Mediterranean keto approach? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is APOE and APOE4, um, those that have the genetics of the APOE4. So APOE is a protein that carries cholesterol and other fats through our blood. So if we eat a higher fat diet, our bodies actually make or produce more APOE. And APOE is also found in the brain. So it's important for brain development, repair of brain structures after injury or inflammation. There are three different alleles or variations of the APOE gene. So there's APOE2, APOE3, and APOE4. We're all born with one from mom, one from dad. So we have two alleles. 
So you could be an APOE 2-2, an APOE 2-3, a 3-3, a 2-4, and so on. And we know that studies indicate those with the APOE 4 allele are more likely to get late onset Alzheimer's disease than others. And those with two copies, so those that are an APOE 4-4, are at the greatest risk. So having a APOE 4 does not mean that a person will necessarily have Alzheimer's, but it does mean that they are prone towards having unfavorable fat carrying and metabolism and this can interfere with brain and cardiovascular health so if you have an apoe4 we do recommend keeping of your fat intake so we don't say that you can't do keto Um, we say that you have to have at least half of your grams of your fat coming from non-saturated fat sources because we know increased risk for the damage that the APOE can be done, which which basically what, what we've seen in studies is that the um, APOE can drive an accumulation of tangled bundles of fibers in the brain, these amyloid plaques. And um, this is a, a feature that's consistent with Alzheimer's disease. And the amyloid plaque, again, is that similar mechanism that could also create more heart disease concern. So increased risk for APOE damage is high saturated fat intake, and especially for those that have high homocysteine levels, um, which is a marker of vascular inflammation and generally those that have methylation issues. So ways to support the APOE4, if that is your category, is to increase your omega-3 fatty acid intake through fish and also supplementing with a quality fish oil like our EPA DHA Extra. Um, Three to four capsules of that would provide you an ample dosage of grams of need to offset. Um, We look at the B vitamins that aid with methylation, like B6 and B12 and methylfolate. Um, So layering on B complex or taking a quality multivitamin, like our multi-defense, I would think of as the big Mediterranean keto multi because of all of those phyto compounds in there. And then antioxidants are going to reduce the oxidative stress damage um, through that APOE4. Um, knowing that your vitamin D level is optimized. And then again, distributing your total fat to be less than 50% from the saturated fat. Because we've actually seen that APOE4 carriers who ate the most saturated fat were actually seven times more likely to get Alzheimer's than the non-carriers who ate less saturated fat. So there is that saturated fat connection for the APOE4. Um, and you know we've seen that the MCT oils, for instance, that have been very promising in literature for brain health are not effective for the APOE4s. And MCTs are gonna be in that saturated fat realm, the medium chain triglycerides. Um, so we still see benefit of supporting these people with a ketogenic diet because managing the blood sugar and keeping uh, fasted insulin levels and reducing oxidative stress in the brain, all of that's going to be preventative for Alzheimer's and supportive for cardiovascular health, but the fat distribution would be key. So olive oil, you wouldn't be doing fat-fueled coffee with coconut oil or butter. You'd be doing green tea in your morning, fasted plain, and then do that olive oil on a plate trick that I just shared with you. You know, So it's really just kind of qualitatively thinking about this. And if you're doing more red meat, you'd want to make sure, of course, the emphasis of the pasture raised. Yep. And then you know, letting the saturated fat then come from your animal products in the diet, like your, you know, steak, your chicken, what right. have you, and then not adding additional saturated fat. So going more to the avocado and the olive, I think is a really good way to 
conceptualize this and think about it. Right. Instead of snacking on cream cheese balls. Yep. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Like the dairy is a big area. That's I the think part that, that I would that emphasize. Gets us into trouble, I think, with keto more often than not. And that's why I think we kind of already lean into Mediterranean keto with our approach because the whole anti anxiety diet, of course, y'all know is dairy free. So that's not one that's in a lot of our blog recipes and a lot of the foods that we're talking about the majority of the time. We do love cheese. Yeah, I I am from Wisconsin. (laughs) Um, So the other area beyond APOE, the other area that Mediterranean keto I think would be a great fit for is those with GI issues, especially those that have persistent dysbiosis. Um, So maybe they've had SIBO or um, candidiasis, so candida albicans or a gut pathogen or H. pylori. Um, You know, there are really supportive compounds that fight pathogens in your produce, right? And so when we're getting more of these tannins, anthocyanins, these plant-based botanical antioxidants and pigments, these can play a great role with actually battling off or killing off um, gut bacteria bacteria that's driving imbalance and that's why we talk about you know like our Brocco detox supplement actually is the only product that we really have that has been proven to be effective for H. pylori um, which we don't even think of that in our gut cleanse realm but those phytocompounds can be really powerful players and if we're looking at pathogen in the world of gut I would also say that Mediterranean keto would be very supportive then for immune health because we're fighting pathogen as far as also like virus cold flu. I keep thinking about your bacteria battling chimichurri is a, a great example, I think, of this that you could add to yeah. anything. So that basically has all the herbs. So yeah. it has, you know, oregano, basil, um, uh, parsley, olive oil, and garlic, and salt, of course. And that's all blended on high. And yep, that's what we use it for in the anti-anxiety diet in the gut reset chapter. All right, let's um, go on that realm of, of food inspiration and talk through eight Mediterranean keto superfoods and why these are supportive for health and wellness um, and maybe two to three ways to prepare them. So let's start with garlic. Yes. So garlic is one that I think is so underdone in American culture. Um, like one clove. I know. I know. I do four whenever it says one. I know. Um, timely chopped, finely chopped. And, um, I I made guac over the weekend for family and they were like, what's in your guac? And I was like, uh, you know, garlic, avocado, uh, lime, salt, and cilantro. And they were like, oh, and red onion, of course. And they were like, oh, and and I told them I put four cloves of garlic in it. And they're like, oh, that's that flavor. Yeah, (laughs) flavor. Um, So, you know, garlic has um, been widely supported for heart disease for, I think, a pretty extended period of time. There is a lot of clinical trial and study support research on the sulfur-containing compounds. Um, The allicinin is one. There's a lot of different sulfur components in garlic that are active activated by oxygen. So when we do cook with garlic, it's best to kind of, I like to use my knife and smash with the heel of my hand. I put my knife flat over the garlic 
um, clove. Because also if you're hand peeling your garlic cloves, that's why you're not cooking with enough of it because that's annoying. So you use your heel and you hit on the back of your knife. Um, that'll smash the clove and then that makes the peel very easily easy to take off. It also creates a flatter clove, so easier for chopping with your chef's knife. So once I have three or four smashed cloves, I'm gonna rock my knife on those and chop it up. And then I'll often let the garlic sit for like 10 to 15 minutes. That's actually gonna activate greater the antioxidants that are present. Um, and garlic has been associated with a reduction in risk factors for cardiovascular diseases, including blood pressure regulation. That's a big one. Um, lipid level support, both lowering LDL and increasing HDL. Um, we've seen reduction in blood sugar levels with regular garlic consumption. And then actual supplementation of garlic has been shown to be beneficial in reducing the LDL oxidation, which is really important. So not just the total LDL level, but when we're looking at what drives the plaque formation in heart disease, it's both the higher amount of the LDL particles, but also the oxidative stress. So the key antioxidants both regulate the LDL itself as well as support reduced oxidation of the LDL. Um, so I think it's a pretty big key. I know what might be on your mind, Becky, is the 40 cloves of garlic That's soup. what I was going to say. We're gonna link, That's probably my favorite I think recipe. we have to link at least one or two per, right? Yep. I think that that's a really fabulous one. And then I would just say, honestly, smash and add garlic to everything. Like I'll add a clove um, to bone broth when I'm heating it up um, into my salad dressing. So, you know, trying to have a clove of garlic five times a week, I think is a very reasonable approach. You could very easily do um, a infused olive oil with garlic um, where you would let it sit like in a ball jar. Keep it in your dark pantry versus light exposed so that you retain those antioxidants in the olive oil. That's why you'd want olive oil like in the darker containers and such. Um, and then you can just strain out the garlic pieces if you want it to be like a finishing oil. But that's a great way to impart flavor. You could even blend it in your Vitamix or blender with a little bit of basil and then you'll get a nice green hue to it. Um, and you can also just eat it as a fat bomb. Garlic, basil, olive oil. I'm down that for that. Sounds great. Maybe we um, should just do a simple blog on that, right? <laughs> um, I'm also thinking I like to like take a whole head of garlic and um, roast it. So you cut off the top portion. I just put it like in a little teeny ramekin in the oven um, and add some fat to that. So avocado or olive oil and like roast it um, at 325 to 350, somewhere around there um, for like 30, 45 minutes maybe. And that can be so nice on like a charcuterie board or something like that, or even just like thrown into a, a salad. I just love roasted garlic. Yeah. So easy to eat multiple cloves when you take out that intensity. <laughs> oh, I can eat the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Most definitely. <laughs> All right. On to the second area, which is seafood. And I think that this is what really again, kind of makes the Mediterranean diet. Olive oil and seafood are the two big things that, that I for sure think of. Um, so seafood we know has the high omega-3 fatty acids. It is important to think about wild seafood, and I'll get there in a moment on quality and sourcing, because that's a constant question that I'm getting from listeners. Um, but seafood in its variety of choices, so salmon, sardines, mackerel, um, I caught a bunch of Spanish mackerel in the bay when I was um, in the Miramar area of Florida, which was so much fun, bay fishing. 
And we caught 17 pounds of Spanish spotted mackerel. Yeah. And um, it was phenomenal. I didn't know mackerel came in such big sizes because it's also such a large, big, fatty fish. Um, Generally, when we're thinking about toxicity, we think of the smaller fish like the sardines and such to have just as much omega-3 fatty acid but less bioaccumulation of toxins. Um, So that is something to consider for regular fish consumers. Um, But I think it's a little bit over um, used as a fear tactic and concerningly, especially in the prenatal world. Um, You know, Becky and I have harped on how we've heard uh, OBGYNs recommend against fish oil. Don't eat fish or don't take fish oil. Yep. Because of the mercury contamination. And I'm happy to share that, of course, the EPA DHA extra in our line that is our omega-3 and in the mama to be bundle is third party tested not only for mercury but also for pcbs like plastics Mm -hmm. and other contaminants that are found in the oceans um, as well as third party assessed for potency and quality and you just don't see that in many omega-3 fatty acid products so it's molecularly distilled and, and cleaned as well as ensuring that potency but we look at the epa the eicosapentaenoic acid and the dha uh, the docosa hexanic acid um, as the big polyunsaturated fats that are supportive over EPA being more the anti-inflammatory and DHA more of the regulator of brain health, especially we think fetal brain development, cognitive development with children's brains. And then um, both work in part to lower triglyceride levels. So when someone is dealing with hyper, hyper um, triglyceridemia, often the medication is Loveza, and Loveza is a synthetic form of fish oil. Why would you want a synthetic if you can go you know, bioidentical or naturally sourced from an omega-3? Um, you can also, of course, get all of this in through the diet as a good baseline. So two to three times a week, we would recommend consuming of wild caught fish or shellfish. And um, when we're looking at heart health, I would also note that the DHA has also been shown in studies to increase HDL. So a lot of men with cardiovascular health issues um, not only tend to deal with the higher triglycerides, but trying to get that HDL up with exercise might not be doing it. The DHA could be one way to do that. So really an area to be mindful. Um, when I am selecting my seafood, um, I like as a resource the, the Monterey Bay Aquarium Seafood Watch. Um, they have a color coding, uh, Monterey Bay Aquarium Seafood Watch. They have a yellow, green, and red coding of what is sustainable, also toxicity concerns. Um, and I source a lot of my fish from Vital Choice. Uh, Vital Choice seafood products come from many fisheries that are certified sustainable by this Marine Stewardship Council. Um, Also, they work with the state of Alaska's responsible fishery management to ensure that everything they're using is going to be top quality and also making sure that it's balancing in our oceans. The issue with a lot of the farm-raised fish is they'll use kind of these... um, uh, what do I want to say? Not cages, but these these big netted areas that are still in the water, and then a lot of those fish can actually escape and cause a lot of havoc and damage to the delicate ecosystems in our oceans. So um, at Vital Choice, they do have a great variety um, wild caught salmon. I love both their canned traditional, which includes the bone and skin on, so a boost of calcium. 
um, and also selenium that way. Uh, also, their frozen fillets are fabulous. They have halibut, cod, albacore tuna, Alaskan king crab, various forms of shrimp, Maine lobster, you name it. Um, I'm going to put a link in the show notes um, to Vital Choice Seafood, and y'all get 10% off your order. And then I'm also going to share with you a link for my two favorites, the wild Pacific tuna and the wild halibut for five additional percent off. Um, you have to go into the show notes to find that, but it will be worth it. Um, I also would note their roe or caviar. Becky and I have been known to purchase and um, maybe not the most Mediterranean how we've eaten it, but you know, sometimes we'll do it on like chicharrones (laughs) with like creme fraiche, (laughs) but also would be great to do on top of cucumber slice. Um, and I'll often do like the, um, nori salmon roll-ups and then put some on top of that and kind of eat it as like a little sushi bite. You just reminded me, I have like three packs of those in the fridge. So Ooh. I need to, or not the fridge, the freezer, thank goodness. But yeah, I need to bust those out. Really great source of choline for mm-hmm. brain health in the, in the row. Um, and then those are the fish eggs for those of you that don't know. And then also really great boost of CoQ10, which is going to provide additional cardiovascular and mitochondria support. Um, so let's talk fish preparation. Cause I think that this is an area that intimidates a lot of people. So the Nori, um, salmon roll-ups, we can link the YouTube video so you can see us making them. And that was a YouTube video about stress support. Um, cause we talked about the seaweed helping with tyrosine and that supporting dopamine and the omega threes reducing inflammation and all of that being supportive. Um, I love to keep my skin on my fish, generally speaking, and I will, First, sear it in a cast iron pan, skin down, and then flip it to get a nice char. Um, I like a nice crispy top on my on my fish. And generally speaking, my rule of thumb is 10 minutes per inch of thickness if I'm putting it in the oven. Um, so in that scenario, what I would do is like three minutes skin down, um, about three minutes on the flesh part down, flip it again, skin down, and then finish it in the oven for maybe five to seven minutes at like 375 if the piece of fish was over an inch thick. If it's under an inch thick, you probably don't even have to do any finishing component in the oven at all. Yeah. Um, I just did that with snapper last night and then finished it with like a bunch of fresh chopped herbs and olive oil and garlic. That was really, really yummy. And did you finish it in the oven or just do it pan seared? I finished it in the oven. Yep. Okay. Yep. Um, Because it was a pretty thick piece of of snapper. And yeah, I would say if fish intimidates you, like start with the canned fish because that's kind of a no fail easy um, one to master. So like mastering one canned fish recipe that you like, that you could bring in even on a weekly basis, honestly, to be one of your two to three servings. Um, so either the um, tuna, Mediterranean tuna salad, on I love half an one. avocado, it's such a good one with the olives in there, um, or the nori salmon roll-ups and kind of switching back and forth between those. I also love your um, nori wrapped salmon from like way back in the day. Mm -hmm. And uh, that one basically uses 
nori to cook almost like a parchment paper and papier support of fish preparation which i love to do that as well um, so that recipe basically you put wasabi um, or horseradish mixed with mustard um, as like a spread on the base and then you put the piece of salmon down a bunch of fresh chopped herbs that were um, mixed in with olive oil salt and pepper on top and then you wrap the nori around it and you bake it in the oven so that like imparts all the flavor of the fresh herbs and the moisture um, the same thing you would just bake at that timestamp at 375 of based on inches of thickness and then um, in the anti-anxiety diet cookbook, I have Stella's Simple Salmon, which is so easy. It's, and you could do this with butter or olive oil, but literally it, it's just taking the piece of salmon in the oven and putting fat on top of it. Just don't overcook your fish. It's right, okay for your big. fish to be a little bit lightly translucent in the center um, or brighter in color. Um, and I think that that's a big part in adding enough fat and enough salt and flavor. Um, the last thing I'll touch on is like scallops. So making sure that you really dry scallops, uh, using like, a cheesecloth or a kitchen towel, ideally, um, or a non-dyed, a non-bleached paper towel, um, to get all the moisture out of the scallop. And then that can be pan seared with fat. Um, you can just lightly salt and pepper them and you watch, you only put it in the pan and you watch that translucent to become opaque up to 50%. And then you flip it and you watch as that translucent completes into opaque and you pull it. And it's about a five to seven minute, not even process. Um, so easy with like a side asparagus salad. And I really think spring flavors, scallops can be a really um, just kind of like fancy treat, but it was actually one of Stella's like third seafood foods and she, she loves scallops. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I might have to give that a try with Noah. And I was just thinking too, um, for those with like a seafood aversion or like me during pregnancy and I'm just now like getting back into it, um, doing the crispy fish tacos from the anti-anxiety oh, yeah. diet, I feel like is a good entry level fish preparation and one that you could likely get the whole family on board with. They're delicious, yeah. And you can use that with anything from, you know, grouper to snapper to just a whitefish. Yep. Awesome. All right. Next up, flax seeds. We just had these in our smoothie that we made this morning. Yes, totally. So flax seeds um, have been consumed by humans since ancient times and um, have many medicinal stated purposes. Many have to do with the soluble gum in the fiber-rich seeds, so the lignans, um, that sticky, gummy, like um, glue-like property of them, and that can play a role with regulating cholesterol levels as well as binding in the bowels, which can aid in regulation of estrogen metabolism. Um, flax seeds, I like to absolutely add like a tablespoon into my morning um, or midday smoothie, um, and the blender will break those up. Uh, you do get more of the omega-3 fatty acids absorbed when it's ground, um, but I don't like to buy flax seeds ground. What I like to do is keep um, the big bag of flax seeds in a cold, dry place or maybe even my freezer, and then I'll take like a salsa jar at a time and I will grind those in the Vitamix until they're fully ground and then put that in the freezer to scoop out a tablespoon in like maybe Greek yogurt or something where I'd want it ground. Um, in my Vitamix, because it's a Vitamix, I put them in whole and they get worked up. But you do like them also in the whole food form to help more with the estrogen metabolism. That's where you get more of the lignan property. So like flax crackers would be another fantastic delivery. 
Uh, but we've seen in clinical studies that flaxseed actually can reduce arterial inflammation or inflammation in our arteries. Um, and again, the phytoestrogens in the flax actually show favorable property of a less dominant form of estrogen in the metabolic influence of estrogen metabolism. And we've also seen in research that that phytoestrogen property can play a role, a role with reducing heart disease risk. I'll link those um, flax crackers because I think that's a really easy way to get them into a diet, like doing those on an adult Lunchable with yep. some olives and some, you know, crunchy veg. And if we're doing cheese, a little bit of cheese there. Um, what other recipes do you use flax? And I mostly do them in smoothies. I know. I'm thinking smoothies too. I mean, you can really add them into like any of my nut flour muffin recipes. Mm-hmm. Um, we have them in the um, breastfeeding cookies on I the I was blog. just going to say, yeah, <laughs> I have a lot of flax because of that. Yeah, so I think that that's a really good recipe. We can link that as well. You don't have to be breastfeeding to enjoy it. You don't. Nope. All right. Olive oil is number four. So again, the Evu or um, who is that that says that? Rachel, whatever. Um the Evu um, extra virgin olive oil. Um, this is going to be the first <laughs> cold press. And um, nice. that's right. <laughs> Choking on my water. Second time today. <laughs> um, actually, maybe it's a flaxseed in your throat. because It might be from the smoothie. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so the extra virgin olive oil will be from that first cold press. And that's the ideal choice. Um, I think that olive oil is really the cornerstone of the Mediterranean diet. And again, kind of what shifted the conversation of low fat America into, oh, maybe there are some health redeeming properties of fats out there. And we've seen in clinical research that there are many cardioprotective qualities of the bioactive compounds in olive oil. And these include compounds like carotenoids that you think of in your orange flesh vegetables. Beta carotene is found in olive oil. And many of the antioxidants have been shown to be anti-inflammatory and can reduce cardiovascular health risk. Um, there are monounsaturated fats in the olive oil, right? So it's not polyunsaturated, which it means that it's more heat stable. And, you know, you probably have heard from me, if you were listening more than a decade ago, that, you know, we want to watch out for cooking with olive oil uh, because of it being an unsaturated fat versus a saturated fat. But again, it's not a polyunsaturated fat. It's a monounsaturated fat. So only one bond possible of becoming oxidized. And the monounsaturated fat is combined with tocopherols and polyphenols, which are a really beautiful balance to support blood vessels, arteries, and a healthy heart, as well as favorably impacting our lipids. So we've seen reduced triglyceride levels, anti-inflammatory support, reduced oxidative stress to our LDL molecules again, and again, healthier arteries. I want to note that I don't worry about the quote unquote smoke point of a dish to be the same of which the oven is set. So just to make a little note here, I was talking to a friend about this. You know, if you're cooking chicken in the oven, um, I'm absolutely cool with using olive oil. Sometimes I'll use olive oil with avocado oil on like my cauliflower because 
Cauliflower doesn't have any protein in it really. It's mostly water and then that vegetable carb. So it's gonna get higher heat quicker. Um, so I'll do often a blend of olive oil with avocado oil and I don't pre-blend it. I just, it's, it's based on drizzling, I blend it and then I just toss everything together. Because the reality is you're not going to likely hit over that smoke point of the extra virgin olive oil of 325 or above, even if your oven is at 425 or 375, because that cauliflower itself maybe is just hitting that. The chicken, as we know, like chicken, you pull at 165. So your chicken can come in the oven, you know, from refrigerated temp, you put your olive oil on there with herb seasoning spices. And I'm not worried about that olive oil hitting its smoke threshold. We're not putting it in a deep fryer, right? We're not putting it on a grill. I wouldn't put olive oil on a grill per se, but I think using olive oil in the oven is fine. And I think that the testament of Italian culture speaks to that not being right. a health risk factor. Right. And even for, you know, stovetop cooking, you wouldn't want a high heat saute in it, but you could certainly reasonably cook your eggs in olive oil or totally. low heat saute some vegetables in olive oil. So I think that'd be the big aha there. I'm not going to share an olive oil recipe other than my licking it off a plate idea. There's so many. But there are so many, right? And I would just say that you could be more liberal with your selection of using olive oil when cooking than maybe you were told you could be based on that smoke point information. Do you have a favorite olive oil, Ellie, right now? Yeah, I or do. tips for buying. I So, I, again, I look at the, the bottle itself. Um, I can't think of, I, I like the bulk buy that I do is um, the green and white tins. And I can't think of the name of the brand, but I'll, I'll link it in the show notes in my Amazon store. I know exactly store. what you're talking about. I can't yeah. remember either. That's what I use, though, yeah. as my main one. And then there's a very expensive, amazing olive oil that one of my clients got me pretty addicted to. Um, and I also can, I think it's from France and I also cannot think of the name, but I will put it in the show notes. Okay. You ask me those questions. I'm not prepared for my show notes. I'm not either. I don't know the brands off the top <laughs> of my head, but I got the label in my head, but yes, I'll have to send yeah. that. So we want it to be organic. We want it to be extra virgin yes, for sure sorry. in, um, dark glass for sure, which most of them will be. Um, I know there's like that Casadrinos brand that a lot of people mm -hmm. from Greece. like from mm -hmm. Greece. Um, and I don't know what we use in our household either off the top of my head. Right. I know it by bottle, but not Me off the top of my head. <laughs> I'll share it in a link. All right. And then berries. Yes. So berries are like such a, I think, overlooked best friend of mine. I buy them all the time for Stells. Um, but fresh berries, I love these sweet little gems loaded with polyphenols. Um, Nutrient-rich, great source of fiber. I love the bitter anthocyanins and the dark pigments of blackberries, blueberries, strawberries, um, and you know, really supportive for cardiovascular. We've seen um, regular berry consumption can reduce LDL oxidation again, so that actual risk factor, not just the total on your report card. Um, we've seen that regular berry consumption can actually increase your total plasma antioxidant capacity. Um, and that hand in hand reduces, of course, inflammation and pretty much across the board disease risk factor. Um, I have been trying to get myself into eating berries more regularly, like even just grabbing them out of the fridge and then just having like some pistachios with them. Um, I've been incorporating berries on and off in my smoothies. So like blueberries with kale and the flaxseed in there and um, could do almond milk in there. It would be more Mediterranean over coconut milk for sure um, with some collagen and that can be a really great delivery. Um, and then like freezing berries and doing that with heavy cream. 
You can just take heavy cream without whipping it and drizzle that on frozen berries and it like freezes. like magic shell. Yeah, it's (laughs) delightful. Um, And that's such a fun treat Um, and really a nice kind of nightcap at the end of the day. That's a great idea. And that's something with keto, like in the early days, I feel like I got away from buying them and then I was buying them a lot during pregnancy and I've continued for Noah. So we've had berries for a while, but it's such a nice treat. Yeah, I really feel like it's an awesome meal cap um, and a really great way to get that, again, that like kind of finishing flavor, like a, like a dark chocolate with that mm-hmm. same, again, that yep. bitter polyphenol compound. And um, I think that even the cool thing about berries is that you're getting such a high fiber push with like especially the tiny seeds in your raspberries and blackberries, and that's just adding more bang for your buck and as well as gut, helping to kind of broom the gut out as well. All right, and next up, spinach. So you could throw into that berry smoothie that you mentioned just like a handful or two of baby spinach. Absolutely. So spinach specifically of the greens in the world of Mediterranean keto, because we're looking for those nitrates, which we also would find in like beetroot and beets and beet greens. But nitrates in spinach can convert to nitric oxide in the body, and that aids with endothelial function and lowers your blood pressure. Um, Key elements to reducing cardiovascular disease risk. Um, And we know that nitrate-rich vegetable consumption, especially of spinach, has been shown to regulate blood pressure. Um, So that would be a good area, especially if you're noticing your blood pressure going up and you're not getting in your greens or you've just forgot about the baby spinach. Maybe you did an MRT and you've been avoiding it. Maybe it's time to come back on plan with your baby spinach um, or your big grown spinach and play with sauteing. Um, I think they're great. Um, I love to saute spinach with uh, actually in olive oil with garlic and then throw that in bone broth and blend that together to make like a um, cream of spinach soup really easily. Um, Mixing it into your salad to get kind of mixed greens there I think would be another way. And every day I'm always recommending two to three cups of leafy greens. So just a different green to focus on getting in. Awesome. Let's have a quick break for a word from our sponsor for this episode, our mid-roll sponsor, ourselves. Yes. (laughs) So we are sharing with you on this topic of all things cardiovascular health and Mediterranean keto, our CoQ10. So our newest supplement to the naturally nourished line, CoQ10 plays a role in increasing your heart's ability to pump more powerfully. It supports the mitochondria, which are the energy factories in every cell of your body, highly concentrated in the cardiovascular system. So this can support circulation and blood flow throughout the body, which will aid in cardiovascular health. We also know that this can support cellular energy production. We know that CoQ10 is essential for those that are taking a statin drug because statin drugs block HMG-CoA reductase, which is the enzyme pathway in the liver that that drug Uh, blocks to block production of cholesterol, we also lower our levels of CoQ10 because CoQ10 is manufactured through that same pathway. So absolutely essential that anyone taking any amount of statin drug, the statin should be taken at bed and your CoQ10 should be taken at rise so that you can prevent chronic fatigue syndrome, myopathies, cognitive decline. We've heard of statin brain. A lot of those side effects are attributed possibly to CoQ10 deficiency. So really important for that population. And then in the world of cardiovascular health, we can see CoQ10 um, can help with supporting a healthy HDL, 
can reduce your actual inflammation. Uh, clinical studies show reduced C-reactive protein, improvement in exercise performance, insulin sensitivity and regulated blood sugar levels, probably with that endothelial support, uh, brain health, especially in the world of Parkinson's and Alzheimer's. We see CoQ10 playing a role with lung health, especially in asthma and COPD. And it's a huge clinical pearl in the world of fertility for both women and men. Because when the CoQ10 supports your antioxidant quality in your body, that means that egg and sperm health is supported and more viable. So it has more life in the life-giving pieces of fertility, um, which means healthy implantation and healthy growth of fetal. Yeah, and when I was filling in the research tab on our new CoQ10 complex, which I'm sure there's more to come there, but I was really impressed. There were a lot of studies in terms of um, cardiovascular risk and reducing risk of death with individuals with heart failure. Also, a lot of good research out there on um, recovery after a cardiovascular procedure. So a stent yes. or um, you know, an, a bypass or something like that, adding on CoQ10 helped to prevent a subsequent cardiovascular event, even subsequent heart attacks. There was a lot of impressive research there, um, as well as in the area of improving um, ovarian reserve and sperm concentration for fertility. Yeah. So there's actually now a lot of infertility centers or fertility centers. Um, when women or men are dealing with infertility using CoQ10 in their basic protocol. Um, so they'll do like a prenatal CoQ10, maybe vitamin D and then the DHA supplement. Um, so I think CoQ10 is definitely in the mix and, and that ovarian reserve. So even if you are a woman in your thirties and you're thinking about having kids, I think CoQ10 is a good one to hold on to because as the reserve depletes, you don't get more, right? You're born with the amount of eggs that you have at birth. And as that reserves with aging and oxidative stress, um, that's really something that we want to focus on prioritizing. And all these studies that Becky mentioned, you know, we're talking about like randomized double-blind clinical trials, really gold standard research. So make sure you go on over to AllieMillerRD.com and under products, you can check out the CoQ10 Complex. It is a highly bioavailable form of the antioxidant CoQ10 combined with zinc and vitamin E for maximum absorption to support heart health, blood pressure, fertility, and healthy aging. Yes, as if we couldn't um, add any more supplements or as if we don't have enough supplements to take. We have both started um, taking this more for the fertility support um, Mm -hmm. and just overall antioxidant support, healthy aging, but... I'm, I'm happy with it so far. Yeah, and uh, very clearly one bottle will last two months, so you're just taking one per day. And um, I think a really good support across the board for all of those reasons. All right, so let's round out these foods. I mentioned tomatoes as kind of more of a summer um, inspiration or something that is coming. And I know you and I both have tomato plants that are starting to get their little flowers, so yeah. I'm excited about that. I have some sun golds and some... Oh, what are my German? Oh, boogers. It's a purple, 
purple tomato. I can't think of it off. It'll come to me. Um, but heirloom varieties. So excited for sure. Um, I think that tomatoes follow that nature's doctrine of signatures of that, you know, you cut the tomato and it looks like the chambers of a heart mm-hmm. um, and all of the vessels and carrying blood flow. Um, but tomatoes have long been recognized as cardiovascular supporting. Uh, research has demonstrated the ability of tomato consumption, especially high concentrations of lycopene, which is that antioxidant in tomatoes, um, to improve markers of cardiovascular disease, also supporting that endothelial function, uh, regulating blood cholesterol, and reducing blood pressure. The lycopene is found higher in cooked tomatoes. So this is where like your canned tomatoes um, or your tomato paste or tomato sauce are going to have higher concentration. And we can see that lycopene consumption reducing risk of stroke upwards of 26%. Um, So this would be a big one, especially if we're thinking of uh, supporting family members. A lot of the things today, I would say, because a lot of them are going to be reducing the risk of um, platelet aggregation or stickiness factor in the blood, very anti-inflammatory, preventing blood clots. Um, If we have family members or ourselves or others that are concerned about potential blood clot effects with medications or maybe with the recent vaccines that have been out and around, I think that, you know, focusing on these health supporting foods would be something that you could do pro-vigilantly or um, to support and reduce the oxidative stress or that cytokine storm, that clotting formation, inflammatory drive. Um, The cooked tomatoes, again, are going to be the most potent, but don't worry, you still get a lot of bang for your buck in the raw tomatoes, especially if you pair on a beautiful drizzle of olive oil, right, or coarse salt with that and um, can layer that on top of your spinach salad or something. Um, But stewed tomatoes, I'm a huge fan of the Rayos brand, um, and it's a very clean tomato sauce that is only olive oil based. So a lot of times when you buy a marinara, couple things, Becky, that I have to add to the Amazon store, make sure I do it. Um, a lot of times when you buy a marinara, it has soybean oil in it, or it has canola bean, canola, canola bean, <laughs> canola oil in it, or other industrialized pro-inflammatory fats or added sugars. Mm-hmm. Um, the Reyes brand is really fabulous. I love their crushed garlic and, um, basil one, and even their, um, Arabia, Arabiata, I can never say that, the spicy I one. Think that's right. <laughs> they sell it at Costco actually now in like oh, really? two or three packs. Yeah. Are they in the glass still too? Yep. Awesome. I'll have to get back there once they liberate their mask mandate. Well, (laughs) you might Uh, be ordering online for a while. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, But lycopene uh, tomatoes would be food number seven. Any other food ideas, Becky, that I haven't mentioned? For tomatoes, I've been seeing everyone doing that like tomato feta bake thing. So we'll have to come up with a, I don't know if you've seen that. No. um, You haven't been on the Instagram very much, like looking at other people's stuff. But um, they're basically taking a bunch of like small, you know, cherry tomatoes and baking those with a block of feta in the oven. And then they add like pasta to it. So I'm thinking we need to do like a version that is at least gluten-free of that one of these days Hmm, Um, or something along those lines. But um, in terms of recipes that we have, um, the nourishing tomato basil soup, I think it's called, um, is a really good one. And that's the raw one in the blender, right? Or you think of a cooked I'm one? I'm thinking of the cooked one, okay. I think. Um, the raw one, though, would be really nice for like Summer. summertime. It's like yeah. gazpacho. Yep. So we can link that too. And you drizzle in the olive oil as it's going in the blender. And that has fresh garlic in it. Um, I would think of our simple bolognese oh, yeah. that you can incorporate an organ blend yep. in as well. Great way to boost up the CoQ10. Yeah. Yeah. And throw some spinach in there. 
think you throw some spinach in everything. I think so too. All right. The last foods, the eighth in our Mediterranean keto is cruciferous vegetables and namely broccoli. So, so the big push here is for sulforaphane, which is the phyto compound in cruciferous vegetables. And the sulforaphane develops as the vegetables chopped or as you know the food itself is chewed. And we incorporate myrosinase, um, which is the enzyme in our saliva and the glucoraphin from the plant. And that's going to enhance sulforaphane levels. Um, the data on sulforaphane is so strong that you know broccoli is touted as a cancer-fighting compound. Um, and we also see that sulforaphane can reduce the risk of cardiovascular disease. It benefits brain health, including those with Alzheimer's, schizophrenia, and autism. So for children, really great. Don't overthink broccoli. It's an easy one. We have it at least two to three times a week on our dinner table for Stell's. Um, and we see that people that routinely eat cruciferous vegetables have better weight control, better metabolic health, slower cognitive decline, and um, better detox support. And that's where we're often talking about the impact of sulfur-containing compounds aiding in that phase two excretion. Um, and we know specifically that the sulforaphane plays a role in the NRF2 pathway, which is really vital to human health. Um, it's that sulforaphane and the I3C, the um, isothiocyanates. And um, these play a big role on both indirect and long-lasting antioxidant effect because of supporting the NRF path, NRF2 pathway, which drives the production. Um, and so we do see just really strong data along the line. I will note, as I called out the myoracinase and uh, glucoraphin, that that's how when we put together the Brocco detox formula in our line, um, it does have the broccoli seed, the broccoli sprout, um, and the broccoli floret, as well as the um, activating enzyme and the glucoraphin. And so you are getting a really potent delivery of that sulforaphane. We use that in regulating estrogen dominance, as well as supporting, as I mentioned earlier, H. pylori, or just those that deal with low antioxidant status. Um, anyone in the, the aging realm, I think it's a great one to bring in. Um, and in the food forms, I really love broccoli sprouts. Um, so I love adding broccoli sprouts on top of my eggs, on top of salads, like on top of that Mediterranean tuna salad that we mentioned. Um, the way that I roast broccoli is in the anti-anxiety diet cookbook, um, which is quite simple. You could just do a blend of olive oil and avocado oil. Make sure that you coat, whenever you're roasting your vegetable, make sure that your vegetable is glistening. It should not be dry. It should be coated in fat. Um, and then the oven would be at 375 or 400. And um, we're going to roast that broccoli until it creates a nice crunch. Um, so at about 20 minutes in, I'm gonna shake up the pan and uh, maybe flip some of the pieces. I cut them all about maybe three quarters of an inch in size, I would say. So kind of breaking up florets. Stella loves to use her plastic chef knife and help along with that process. Um, and then we coat it all, use our hands to massage it in the oil. At the 20 minute mark, break it up, um, shake it around, and then um, put it in for another probably 15 minutes or so, about 35 minutes, um, sometimes 40 for my cruciferous vegetables. And when you add enough salt and enough fat, your children will love it. It's funny, we ate out for dinner last night and Stella crushed her salmon. I got her a piece of wild sockeye salmon. It was just like an add to 
Stella never eats off the kids' menu. I mean, no. that's a thing. Because <laughs> um, the kids' menu is always gluten and processed and refined carbs. So we were at a restaurant, a wine bar, and I was like, oh, I see how in your salad section, because I was almost going to get her a berry spinach salad and add the salmon, um, but she had just eaten a container of berries. And so I said, I see how you have the add salmon for $9. I'm just going to get that add salmon, and then what vegetable could I add to it? And they added broccoli in a good amount. She did decent with it, but it was just steamed broccoli. Oh, yeah. And I was like, oh, bless your heart for trying stills because <laughs> that just doesn't taste good. And I understand, you know. Um, and I shared some of my roasted Brussels sprouts with her as well. Yeah, that's that's the way we make it in our household too. The roasted broccoli, simple, easy, just salt and pepper. Um, adding mustard seed or mustard powder actually does um, activate that sulforaphane. So it has, mustard has myrosinase in it so that could be like a fancy food as medicine added on to do like roasted broccoli with mustard seeds yeah there's that broccoli chicken dijon we could share oh yeah we'll yeah. share that uh it's delicious it does have cheese in it which i mean i feel like broccoli all and cheese our, are best friends that's what i keep thinking all of our the broccoli, broccoli recipes have i know you were thinking of the grat one too. and the broccoli cheddar soup they're all uh that's Best okay. This cheese. isn't a cheese-free. <laughs> right. Where does cheese fall in the Mediterranean diet? I mean, yeah. I feel like Italians and Greek people like their cheese just in moderation, I right? think it's a condiment. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And so I think let's kind of wrap up on big picture ahas. So I think that the Mediterranean approach to keto is something strongly to consider as a great way to increase antioxidants for sure. I think focusing on these eight foods that we just broke down for y'all, if you can play with a new couple recipes a week, it's a great way for you to stay motivated in your food as medicine journey and also get good diversity in your diet. And as always, I think it's just a time to kind of pause and think of what are you maybe over consuming? And if you're doing your bone broth for, you know, supportive glycine and glutamine and gut health, then maybe you don't also need the chicharron at that day. Maybe you just do the bone broth for the connective tissue support. And then the other day, if you want the pork rinds with your guac, um, that's reasonable. And I still think better than a corn chip. Um, but maybe the next day you go for a vegetable crudite and you leave the saturated fat down a little bit more. Um, because the big aha I would say is, you know, again, we have to think about what we eat eats. And a lot of times when we find ourselves focused on beef and pork, we're not always getting grass finished, pasture raised fully. And so we are getting higher amount of PUFAs or polyunsaturated fats maybe than we would if we're going back to like a vegetable crudite, lighter, brighter, crisper delivery. And um, I think just clean. I think that most of our bodies, just as much as I believe that we are a hybrid that thrives on both glucose and ketones, I believe that we are also a hybrid that thrives on both plants and animal products. And so more fish, more olive oil, more bright color in your dish, and then start to keep that dairy as a condiment triangle and rotate your clean quality proteins. And I think that you're rocking out your version of a Mediterranean keto. If you liked today's podcast, make sure you take a moment to go on over to iTunes or Podbean or Google Play or wherever you're listening and give us a five-star review with a sentence or two of what you're loving. Um, also, make sure if you're on social media, tag at AllieMillerRD when you're putting together any of these recipes or working on these food goals. Um, we always love seeing the creations that y'all come with and um, also love seeing all of your success stories. So keep sharing those and um, go on over to AllieMillerRD 
RD to snag that spot in our keto class in a couple of weeks. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.